Greetings, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Communication Guru Podcast, where we believe it is not always what you say, but how you say it that matters the most. I'm your host, Tim McMurtry, president and CEO of Tim McMurtry International LLC, a business consultancy specializing in personal development and training, government and public affairs, along with corporate and community relations. I'm delighted to have you join us and I thank you for your listenership and viewership of this show. As you know, our aim on this platform is to discuss nuances and insights relative to the communication continuum to help you maximize the impact and results of effective communication within your own various spheres of influence, be it your business, your relationships, and or your workplace. We're here to help you become a top-notch communicator. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when new episodes are released and are available for consumption. Now, people always talk about when you get to the top, don't look down upon others, but continue to be a person that is down to earth and approachable. And in this day and age that we have of information, 24-7, the land of selfies and influencers, it's easy to get kind of lofty with likes and comments and things like that. But in communication, those things can come off arrogant as well. And you don't want to be able to do that. You want to live your life in such a way that you always remain approachable. Now, if you already have a lofty title and you're already in the mix of some things, no need to beat your chest. You can if you want to, but no need to because it'll shine forth and you already have immediate access. And today we're joined by a very special guest, a friend of mine that I've watched grow professionally and personally. <laughs> the fact that the matter is she's also a big baller shot caller as well. So <laughs> we're going to get some insights from her and her perspective in her field relative to communication and how it is facilitated and how the impact of these last several months have played a role in what she does and how she does it. Her name is Katina Shaw. She serves as the Vice President of Community Relations and Family Liaison for the Milwaukee Brewers Baseball Club, Major League Team, our home squad. Go Brewers here in Milwaukee. I had the opportunity to meet Katina and work with her some years ago on a couple of different projects that were public relations related, one of which was the neighborhood block parties where the brewers really wanted to be more than just a professional sports franchise in the community. They wanted to be a community citizen. And one of the ways that they were open to doing this was to have block parties in communities at neighborhood parks where area residents could come in and meet with players and uh, eat hot dogs and have chips and do an autograph session and really just get a chance to get to the personality of the players. And in this day and age where people are kind of off to themselves, particularly as you go up in stature, that is really, really important. And it really, really resonated with fans and other individuals and stakeholders in the community alike. Now, Katina, I'll just say this, and I'll get right into the interviews and bring her on in and get a word in edgewise before I just talk all show. <laughs> she has been just a class act throughout the whole time that I've met her. I mean, the Brewers are a big deal. One of only maybe 30-some teams 
in the nation. So to have a Major League Baseball team in your town, it has major cachet. She is not just a little fly on the wall. She is in the mix. She is the point person for the players, the forward-facing entity and official for the ball club, as well as the family liaison. So when their wives want to get involved with stuff, Katina is the one they go to. So she is no joke, and we are delighted and thankful to have her on the show. Welcome, Katina. Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. You are too kind. That introduction just had me blushing. <laughs> <laughs> Word, do what I can. Do what I can. Do what I can. <laughs> it's in the film. Right, right. <laughs> hey, so in this role, I mean, this is just awesome. And on the outside looking in, it's like, man, this is a dream situation. Tell us a little bit about how you got your start with the ball club and community relations. What's your background and what piqued your interest in this particular field in the first place? Right after school, I actually started working in the nonprofit realm. I had worked for the American Diabetes Association for about eight years. And after 9-11, for me, fundraising just started to get really tough and I wanted to shift my gears and I just did not know what that looked like. But I knew I still wanted to be involved in the community in some way. But again, just did not know what that looked like. So I just, at that time, it was the Journal Sentinel, where you would look for career opportunities. And there was a very appeasing opportunity with the Milwaukee Brewers. And so I knew nothing about baseball. I drove past Miller Park every day and never said I wanted to work there. So I literally applied for the position. And... And it was so funny because the person who was in my position at the time, he had chaired my walk when I worked for the American Diabetes Association. So he remembered me and he brought me in and pretty much took me under his wing. And I probably was in the position as his assistant for about six months. And he called me to his office to share with me that he was resigning And he encouraged me to apply for his position. And at that time, he was the senior director of community relations. And I said, I don't know. I just got here. I just been here six months. What are you talking about? Just learning this industry. And he said, you know what? He said, Katina, you can do this job. He was like, you have an advantage over me. You're a woman. Because he used to tell me a lot of horror stories about interacting with the players. And I just didn't think I wanted to deal with that. And he said, Katina, you have an advantage over me. You're a woman and the average guy is not going to be an a-hole to a woman. Then I said, wow, okay. And so I talked it over with my husband and he encouraged me to apply for the position and I did. And it's been 15 years since. So I just was in the right place at the right time. And like I said, my former boss just pretty much brought me under his wing and he was taking me to his meetings, would bring me down on the field just to have me engage and interact with the players. And I, I formed a good rapport with them. And <laughs> so now I just popped my collar because I'm, hey, I'm killing the game. Always I was in the right place at the right time at that time. And like I said, I had no idea about even the opportunities that were in the sports industry. So I do make it my personal mission to introduce this field to as many young youth as possible because you just think of the opportunity as the athlete. You don't realize there's a front office there that make that organization run. You have sales, you have marketing, you have human resources. So 
I make it my mission when I talk to students about career opportunities to think about the sports industry because there's a slew of opportunities in that field. Yeah, you make several excellent points there. One, proximity matters. You happen to be in proximity to the person who was the senior director at the position that you now have and have expanded, really. And also, though, having that proximity, you obviously displayed yourself with an excellent disposition and an excellency of spirit and person, so much so to where an opportunity arose, he said, you know what, I want to vouch for you because his experience with you wasn't yucky. You know what I'm saying? It didn't rub him the wrong way. The other piece you talked about in terms of these opportunities, you are so right as it relates to sports. We just think about the players. One of the epiphanies I had was working with you in the Brewers. I was just looking over some of the staff there. And I played three sports in high school, a little retired athlete now, still trying to get in the gym a little bit, but I didn't hung up my cleats a long time ago. I tend to also focus on just the players. But what stuck out to me was, at the time, it said that the Brewers organization had 300-plus employees. I said, wait a minute, man. The Brewers, there's more than just the 12 players, maybe a couple of the reserves that are on the bench in the farm team. 300, that's a major employer. And the vast majority of those positions, to your point, aren't on the field. They're off the field. And so there are some opportunities untold that are out there. So kudos to you for helping spread the word far and wide about what's going on. It's good to hear that you didn't just get into the room and close the door and lock it. It's just me and the rest of y'all fend for yourself. But it sounds like you've left the door open for others and have a bullhorn. Hey, y'all, why don't y'all come check this out over here? Absolutely, absolutely. Especially with it being a predominantly male industry. Mm -hmm. A lot of women do not know of the opportunities. And I must say, I was really surprised when I started working for the organization, the number of women who were in leadership roles there. Yeah, And so it was very impressive to me. We're working on diversifying the organization more, but I was very impressed that so many women were in positions there. Yeah, yeah. And so that was very uplifting because as I mentioned, with it being male dominant, you just didn't realize women were familiar with that industry. But now you're seeing more women. Like I said, I've been there 15 years and I'm seeing more women more now than ever, you're seeing them as reporters. Now you're seeing them in the training room. You're seeing them on the coaching staff. So it's just amazing how that industry has evolved over the years. That is awesome. That is awesome. Tell us a little bit more about in your roles. I mean, as VP of Community Relations and Family Liaison, what are some of the things that you, know, you do, some of your core things that you do, and what do you enjoy most about what you do? Well, just to give you a little snapshot of what my job entails, I serve as the liaison between the front office and the clubhouse. So instead of all these various departments going to the players with requests, they pretty much give those requests to me and I serve as the messenger. So every time I approach a player, I always say, don't shoot the messenger. I'm <laughs> the message. But instead of our marketing department, our corporate department, our foundation, instead of all these individuals going to the players, because as you can imagine, they are pulled from every direction. You have so many reporters down there wanting interviews. You have the media relations. You have so many individuals down there asking them for a slew of things. And so they just tried to fine tune that and just have one person 
specifically ask for business purposes needs. And then we have a media relation person who handles all of the media relation. And that way you can gain a rapport with the players. They know who you are. They know what you're there for. So I work very closely with the guys just to get to know who they are, find out what their interests are, try to make that connection for them when they come to Milwaukee, work very closely with their families. None of our players reside in Wisconsin, unfortunately. Only one who lives here during the offseason is our manager, Craig Council. But everyone else, they live in their West Coast in the South. So they only come here for six months to play baseball. And when the season's over, that couple of days after the season's over, they're packing their bags and heading home. (laughs) So so we're their home away from home. So I try to make it as comfortable for them and their wives as possible, being that resource for them for childcare, for the ladies. Because again, the ladies, they're a family and a small community. So try to keep them involved, teach them about our community, let them get involved with organizations and the great needs that we have in our community and look for their support to help as many organizations as possible. So it's just really working hand in hand, matching the players with organizations and causes that they're passionate about and just show our fans that they're not just good players on the field, they're good guys off the field as well. No, that's awesome, Katina. And given the fact that many of them have this quote-unquote bi-coastal existence, Milwaukee for the time being or the duration of the season, and then wherever their home bases are after the season, I would think that that might create some challenges for you relative to having the time to create trust with them. But obviously you have it. You've been with the organization for 15 years. You seem to be a go-to person seem to be one of the favorites of the players year after year. What are some of the keys that you implement to establish trust right away? Because with them, I'm sure they might be a little bit guarded with people coming at them all the time, even when they are just existing in life. How do you effectively communicate with them to convey that, hey, I am a trustworthy person. I have your back. And my word is bond. Whatever I'm telling you is legit. I don't have an ulterior motive. I'm here to be a concierge of sorts to you to help make sure that you and your family have the best possible experience while you're with the organization. Yeah. When I took on this role, I said that I was just going to be very authentic. I wasn't going to betray someone that I wasn't. I was just going to be myself. And I'm very caring. And so I made a point that When I meet with the guys, I get the opportunity to meet with them at spring training. And that's when I introduce myself, get to know who they are. They get to know who I am very briefly. But during the season, I make a point to going in that clubhouse every day. Even if I don't want anything, I'm in that clubhouse every day. I'm just small talk. Hey, how's it going? How's your family? And because I really do care. I care about your family and I care about you and and what's going on in your life outside of baseball. And I would just sit in the dugout, watch them practice because I didn't want to be the one to only come down there when I want something. And I really got that word of advice from a player. When I took on this position, I went to a few veteran players and said, hey, what would you like someone in my position to be like? And one player told me, we have so many people coming down here asking us for stuff, but they never ask us how we're doing. And he was like, it'd be nice if someone had just a personal connection with us. And that was just like a light bulb over my head. I'm very personable. I'm sociable. And so I said, oh, I can do that. That's easy. (laughs) And so I just made it a point to, again, just 
go down there and, and just have small talks, see how it's going with them. On Mother's Day, I'm giving them a shout like, hey, did you call your mom today? Did you call your father today? On Father's Day, you know, just typical stuff like that, small stuff, the easy stuff. And again, just sitting in that dugout, watching them practice. It taught me more about the sport because, again, when I first started in this industry, I knew nothing about baseball. I just knew of some players. I knew there was nine innings. <laughs> I didn't know it was a 25-man roster. I didn't know. So it really taught me the game. And then I just had more respect for the players because they grind out there. I mean, you factor in spring training in the season, they play 212 games of baseball a year. It's only 365 days in a year. So they are very committed and dedicated. And it's just amazing when you see them on their field, how they transform. They have their game face on, but then when they're in the clubhouse, they let that all go. They're playful and you see a different side of them. And so that's the one nice aspect of my job. I get to see them as uh, ball players on the field, but also get to see them personally. Yeah, that's great insight. I mean, it sounds like for those of us who aren't as close to the players as you are, we see them just in the roles of a player and almost kind of a superhero in some respects. What you're saying is that, hey, man, they're human. They're people. And all of the same tendencies and needs and proclivities that human beings have and whatever your walk of life is, players are no exception. They just happen to be professional athletes. But they're human beings first. That's pretty deep and insightful. Absolutely. I just had to really learn their personalities because I also did not want to ever be in the position that I scheduled a player for an appearance and he was injured at the game the night before. And I'm checking him like, where are you at? He's like, did you watch the game? I'm not. Yeah. So I had to make sure that I paid attention to the guy, pay attention to his moods, his attitudes, because they're under a lot of pressure. These guys have to produce. Fans look for them to win. Our organization looks for them to win. So I have to be very sympathetic about all the pressure that they're under, in addition to everything that I'm asking of them. Our fans want to see them up close and personal. You have a slew of organizations reaching out to me, wanting to use the likeness or want a player to come visit their organization. So this has given me the opportunity to just really meet these or learn these guys and learn what their interests are and and really know their personality off the field. Yeah. How do they deal with going to games? You know, you have a person, let's say they might be in, let's say, a batting slump or had a major error that might have, you know, scored a run or whatever. And you got the fans that from one minute can go from, yeah, you know, you're the best, you know, great. You're a bum. How do the players kind of handle that? I know sometimes athletes say, I block it out. I don't hear anything. But again, you're still human. How have you seen players deal with that? No, everybody's kind of different, but is there a general sense of how they deal with that, the more adverse parts of the game, as opposed to the glorious parts of hitting home runs or having 10 strikeouts in the game or as a pitcher? How do they deal with the adversity? I think all athletes had to develop a thick layer of skin when it comes to being an athlete, but it definitely affects them. No one wants to get booed. You feel some kind of way when you walk out on the field or the court and the whole stadium booing for you. That'll make anybody feel some kind of way. But they put their game face on. And that, to me, I think that pushes them harder because they want to prove to themselves that they're not those boos that people are booing them with and show the fans that I'm not perfect. There's sometimes I'm going to be in a slump. 
And I'm working very hard to get myself out of that slump. But for the most part, typically, if they lose a game, the next day they wake up and they forget about that game. It's a new day. I'm going to be better than I was yesterday. And I'm going to prove that to myself and my fans. And so I don't think a lot of them dread on it, but it definitely affects them. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. I get emotional when uh, they go. <laughs> Leave, like, Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Don't do that. So I can imagine. And, and even their wives, it affects them as well. Oh, wow. They could be sitting in a family stand and you have some rowdy fans that might say some things that they shouldn't be saying. And, and the wives take it very personable. That's like any wife. If you're talking about our man, we're very defensive <laughs> about that. Your boo thing. Leave y'all boo thing alone. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But for the most part, our fans are very respectful and they definitely give our players second chances, third, fourth chances. We have some amazing fans. I know when I surveyed the clubhouse a couple of years ago and I asked a lot of players, what do you like about Milwaukee? And the majority of them said the fans, the fans here are amazing. Our fans show up and show out. And so it just goes to you that we have an amazing ball team and we have some amazing fans. And that's overall our sports from the Bucks to the Packers to the Admirals to everybody who plays sports in Wisconsin. Our fans are, are really amazing here. Yeah, yeah. College teams too, you know, UWM, oh, yeah. UW Madison, Marquette. Yeah. And to your point about the attendance, I mean, we, although we are considered a smaller market, our fan attendance and games typically is about the high 2.789 million up to 3 million mark. Usually we're top 10, I think, in attendance at our games. And the fans are really, really dedicated, loyal, and really serious about our local sports. Let me ask you this. As close as you are to the players and their families and almost kind of like you are a family member as well, you travel typically to spring training and all this kind of stuff. You have a very close relationship, regular interaction with players in person. How has the disruption of the COVID-19 pandemic and the associated public health and safety protocols and mandates, how has that affected your ability to communicate with the players in the way that you typically did pre-COVID-19? Yeah, the COVID has impacted me greatly with just building my relationship with the players. Last year, we had quite a few new players who had joined our club, and I just briefly met some of them at spring training in February and in March. That's when the COVID hit. So we did not develop a relationship at all within those couple of weeks. And when we came back here to Milwaukee, just with all the guidelines and the protocols that were put in place by Major League Baseball, I did not have the opportunity to interact and engage with the players. They limited the number amount of individuals who could access the clubhouse. That included the media. So I did not get a chance to sit in the dugout last year and, and go in the clubhouse to meet with these guys. So had to do a lot of texting a lot of phone calls, and that's difficult. With caller ID, you don't have to answer your phone. <laughs> <laughs> Do I want to get this or not? Nah, I'm going to pass on this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a lot of disconnect. I, I definitely felt disconnected from the guys this past season, as well as their wives. Again, due to the guidelines that were put in place, a lot of our families did not come to Milwaukee this past season. So I wasn't able to engage with the wives. We have a family room where we provide complimentary childcare 
to the ladies during the game. So I didn't get to see any of the kids, which I adore their children. So I felt very disconnected this past season. So even this year, the start of this season, still disconnect. I I did get the opportunity to meet with them virtually for the last week over Zoom. But that's still, I like that personal social interaction. You know, I typically sit in the clubhouse for five, six hours a day during uh, spring training, just talking and giggling. and Yeah, just hanging out, kicking it. Hanging out and just did not get that opportunity this spring. But hopefully when the guys come back in April and hopefully when conditions improve and we get the approval from MLB and the Players Association, I'll be able to have my engagement and interaction with the guys. But it was very difficult for me, very difficult. Mm, yeah, I can imagine it. Have there been any indications from Major League Baseball at all thus far of any loosening of some of those restrictions thus far? Or they're still kind of taking a wait and see type deal to see what Dr. Fauci and the CDC and others are going to be doling out as we go on over the rest of the year? Yeah, everything is so in flux right now. It's really up to the governors of each state on how they want to bring in the capacity for a stadium. So I know our Health Department came in last week to do a a walkthrough at at our stadium. So we're very optimistic that we will have some fans in the stands. We typically have about 44,000 fans filling our ballpark, but we will not see that this season. We'll probably have a quarter of that. So fingers crossed that we will be able to play in front of fans this season. But yeah, it'll be interesting. And the same in Arizona. I know we've been selling tickets. We actually sold out of spring training tickets thus far. So fans are excited. They're geeked. When baseball approaches, that means warm weather is right. on. Right, summer is on its way. So Come on, baseball. Yeah, so <laughs> fans are excited. And I must say that I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We did get the opportunity to go back to the ballpark last year for a couple of months. And during that time, the players were playing games. And it was just, it was unreal. I'm used to seeing tailgaters. You're used to smelling the popcorn and the roasted nuts. You, yeah. You bumping in from the parking lots. You right. know, with the tailgaters. Guys and was, carrying the beer cases. Beer, fresh, fresh ice cold beer. Never, never, never. Exactly. Yeah. And it was none of that. I felt like I was in a sci-fi movie, literally. <laughs> Where am I? Where am I? <laughs> the Twilight <laughs> Zone. What's going on? Right. During baseball season. So it was yeah. very unusual. But hopefully the start of April, like I said, we'll have some fans in the stands because we're ready for it. And I know our fans are ready for it. And I know our players are ready for it. They bring energy to our team when they're on the field and the guys feel that. So it was very different for them to playing in stands with no fans, especially in Milwaukee, because like I said, our fans show up. Yeah, yeah. And keeping in this vein of just kind of change and newness, the ballpark, formerly known as Miller Park, has a new name. It's like the American Family Field. Has that been kind of a weird kind of thing? Or because it happened in the midst of Twilight Zone, it's just one more thing that just is how it's going. Now, how has that been? That change with that identification of it being Miller Park for so long, has that been kind of weird to get adjusted to as well, the new name? Not yet for us. I think because a lot of us, we are still working remotely. But I think once we're back in the building, interacting with fans and our sponsors and season seat holders, Miller Park might roll off our tongues. <laughs> and be like, oh, no, it's not Miller Park anymore. But 
because I still get calls from individuals calling the county stadium. So oh, I think wow. we have to get used to, but it's a great change. I know American Family Field has been very generous to our city and we value the partnership. So it's new things, but great things. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Very well said. Just got a couple more questions for you, and I'm going to let you go. I won't monopolize all your time. Just shifting gears just for a little bit here. Given that the pandemic was kind of the engine of the train and the caboose was probably the murder of George Floyd at the hands of the Derek Chiffon, the police officer in Minneapolis, and it kind of sparked a firestorm relative to racial reckoning and jump-started efforts for more pointed diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in a professional sports world, the WNBA and the women's players, they were doing some protests and activists and really standing up for justice, followed by the NBA during the bubble of last year. And the Bucks, after the Jacob Blake situation, countered with the police as well, that ended in some, not quite tragedy, it wasn't fatal, but he had been paralyzed by the police. There were some additional protest. The Bucks set out a game in the playoffs and the Brewers followed suit. How has that been it for a stand for justice socially, racially across the board? How have these recent events associated with social justice impacted the ball club, the players, the front office? And has there been systemic or long-term things that you guys have thought about as a ball club to really continue to push the envelope in this vein? Yeah, I must say I was really proud of our clubhouse, how they responded to everything that was going on in the community with the George Floyd incident and others. They were pissed. They were like, enough is enough. We have this platform. We need to utilize this platform. The one thing with our clubhouse, it looks like a rainbow. And so they wanted to make sure that the individuals that this really impacted felt supported. And so there were a lot of candid conversations being held in the clubhouse and the guys just came together and said, what should we do? They came to us and said, what should we do? How can we use our voices to show the community that we support this? We support their efforts to fight for rights. And they came together and wore t-shirts and a lot of players use their social media platform to bring more awareness to this cause and this issue. And we're still moving forward. We're going to continue those efforts. It's in our DNA now. It's just not a one-time thing. We're going to continue doing those things to bring a voice to the voiceless. And we're going to continue supporting minority-owned businesses and social services who are serving those underserved communities as well as the police officers who have a really tough job. There's a lot of good cops out there who are getting the black cloud over them because of the bad apples that are in the pot. Indeed. Um, So we're going to definitely continue to use our platform to serve the underserved and to bring more attention to social justice. Excellent. Excellent. And I just have maybe one other question for you. I'm going to let you roll on. Now, this has been so great. I could ask 20 more questions, but I don't want to take up all of your time. As a professional here in the greater Milwaukee area, how have your, let's say, moves and navigations, when you go to different places, how are you received in different places when people meet you? I guess the question is, how do you leverage (laughs) 
<laughs> your VP status. You come in first as, hey, I'm Katina Shaw, nice to meet you, da, da, da. Or is it, hey, I'm VP with the Brewers, get out the way. How do you navigate your space given such a substantial role in the community? Again, I'm just very authentic. I know I'm fortunate and I'm blessed. I know I'm in a great position. I work for an amazing organization who really care about the community. And I'm fortunate, so I don't take that for granted. And so, no, I don't walk in saying I'm the VP. I let my work and who I am speak for itself. I am proud of my organization. I will tell people where I work at, but I don't throw my title out there too much. If people want to know who I am or interested in knowing who I am, they'll do their research. But I do try to support as many organizations as possible. I stay involved as much as possible. I love this city. I grew up, I was born and raised in Milwaukee. So I want to see this city thrive. And I'm glad I'm in a position to help as many organizations as possible and support their efforts. And I'm just proud of the work that I'm able to do. But like I said, I know I'm very fortunate and in a blessed position. You are definitely a shining star. You are a role model. You are a hero. I mean, to be born and raised in Milwaukee, I didn't come from a sports background, didn't have the silver spoon or all these quote-unquote advantages, but to rise to the level that you have risen to and to maintain a level of down-to-earth personal disposition is just really, really phenomenal. And, you know, just quite frankly, the fact that you're a sister, African-American, that's powerful too, because we often hear that there are no opportunities and I have to leave the city to ascend to a place of rank and stature. You're living proof that that is not necessarily the case. If you are able to position yourself to ascend up different ladders and you carry yourself in a way that is engaging and attractive to people, you can go as high as your imagination can take you. So that is awesome. Athena, so thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Any parting words that you have for our listeners? Well, I do want to say this. When I started with the organization, Tim, you were very, very instrumental in getting me out in the community, introducing me to a lot of individuals that I didn't know. So I really appreciate your support throughout the years, your friendship, your brotherhood. I would not know a lot of individuals that I know today if it wasn't for you. So I really appreciate your support of my career through the years. And and like I said, our friendship, you have always been authentic. The Tim I met 10, 15 (laughs) years ago is still the Tim I know today. And I'm so proud of what you're doing and how you've evolved over the years. And look at you now. You have your own podcast. Yes, indeed. It's not shocking. This is you. This is what you're supposed to be doing. (laughs) And so I really appreciate you and I'm thankful to you. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but I really appreciate our friendship and everything you've done for me throughout my career. Uh, It is totally my pleasure. And thank you so much for such magnanimous compliments. I really do appreciate it. It has been a real joy to see you blossom and grow. And it was really a treat for me to help bring you into the mix. As a fellow native son of Milwaukee, we've heard the banter about, well, hey, we can't have opportunities. And sometimes you have people say, well, black people don't get along. They don't get together. They don't help each other. So, no, no, no. That, some of that is hyperbole. When you meet somebody that has an opportunity, help them to get as high as they can go because it's the right thing to do. You're not trying to say, now I helped you do this. Now it's your turn to help me. 
that ain't what this is. This isn't a quid pro quo. This is about doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. So I am thrilled to see and hear how successful you have been. And it don't seem like it was 15 years. That time has been really flying. I mean, I'm 15 years old. Lord Jesus. (laughs) But it's been good. We've been aging gracefully, if I do say so myself. So... This part for that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much again for joining us. And to the listeners, uh, thanks so much for listening in today. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru podcast. Also be on the lookout for the Morning Temptation vlog, which are inspirational words and insights of encouragement on Facebook. Instagram, and LinkedIn. And finally, if you have a communication issue that you may need assistance with, be it personal, organizational, relational, or in business, and would like a free 15 to 30-minute consultation or discovery session, feel free to drop me a line at tim at timmcmurtryinternational.com with a brief description of your issue, and we can see if we can get you over the hump and out to reach your objectives in that particular vein. Thanks so much again. Thank you. You're welcome, my friend. This has been super good. We have to have you back again. <laughs> Until next time, you all. Blessing and increase to you. Bam. <laughs>